Hello, welcome everyone to this webinar on the world and history of drag. Uh, my name is Andy. I am a member of Young Creatives, a creative youth charity. Um, this webinar is uh, part of a uh, So You Want to Work In slash Change the Art series. Um, this series is part of Creative Youth's wider creative talent program which offers artistic, strategic, and business support to young emerging artists. Uh, we are very generously supported by Art Council England. Um, yeah, so my name is Andy, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, I have short blonde hair. Uh, I am wearing a black t-shirt and there is just a wall behind me. Uh, would you guys like to introduce yourselves, Dorian? Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Dorian T. Fisk. I am um, white, medium build. I'm currently in drag face, very quick drag face. I would say it's kind of rather swarthy. I've got some stubble happening. I've got blue baseball cap turned backwards and a t-shirt with Shut Up and King logo on it, repping my brand. I run Drag King workshops up here in Scotland. Behind me, you can see I've got some costumes that are half finished on a dress form and I'm in my workspace at home. My pronouns right now are he, him being in drag and I'm a drag king, if I didn't mention that. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Jordi Delight. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, in and out of drag. And I am currently wearing my glasses. I have short black hair with a like blondish fringe, a black jump on, a silver chain that everyone knows I'm obsessed with. And I behind me have red walls and a lovely headshot of me that my mum got printed for my Christmas because I'm very vain. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I am a CTP artist in residence with Creative Youth. I am based in Edinburgh and work predominantly now as a non-binary artist and I'm not currently in drag like the incredible Dorian. Cool, okay, let's get started. So Jordi. Can you tell us a bit about the history of drag? Yeah, I think um, for anyone that comes from a theatre background or performing background, we know that obviously drag comes from early days Shakespeare. Um, predominantly in Shakespeare, a lot of men dressed up as women in performing roles. Um, and I think ever since really, we've seen a lot of drag evolution in different cultures. The idea of gender expression and performance is something that is really important to me as someone who identifies as non-binary. And I think, in the UK particularly, there's an emphasis on, or at least for my experience of drag being at the pantomime every year at Christmas, quite a tradition in the UK to go see a panto. And yeah, I think in terms of the history, drag has always been here. My kind of earliest memory really of drag was, um, and I know I've spoken to Dorian about this, um, seeing Tipping the Velvet, which was a book then adapted into a TV show that was focused on drag kings. So my sort of earliest memory is actually seeing drag kings as opposed to drag queens, which I think is really interesting. I never really necessarily, although I loved pantomime, I always thought a dame was just kind of like an acting role. But for me, seeing drag kings and, and women or a same film where people presenting male persona was really interesting for me. And I know that now in terms of drag, you know, we've went down a different route that Things like RuPaul's Drag Race are in the mainstream media, which is, you know, it's important, it's great, but I think um, it's always important to know the history of drag and sort of where that comes from. It's, um, there's this big conversation about what is drag versus what is drag race. And that's a really important thing to mention for people that are here. I know Dorian has thoughts on that as well. And I think, you know, for me as well, one of the biggest things I think with drag that I learned was the ballroom scene in the early 90s where many people that were trans um, from the BAME community would sort of do balls and win awards and there was voguing, there was serving face, so categories. That's kind of where I think category is from RuPaul's Drag Race comes from because these ballroom competitions often would have a category and people would kind of make outfits from what they had at home or they would spend a lot of money on extravagant looks. Um, yeah, and there's a big emphasis whilst that was happening with queer club kid culture. So there were people like Michael Alec and the party monster scene who sort of 
rather than necessarily did drag, they did looks, they ran club nights. Lee Bowery was a well-known UK club kid who was also a performance artist. So yeah, I think the history of drag really has sort of been everywhere and there's been so much going on with that. Um, and I think it's important just to remember, you know, drag is incredible and so brilliant and a brilliant expression in art form, but drag race and drag are very separate things. Mm. Uh, Dorian, how would you explain drag to someone who knows nothing about it? Yeah, I'd pick up on a lot of what um, Jordi has, has really done a great job at explaining in terms of trying to give a broader picture because I understand that there's a lot of people are getting their first introduction to drag these days with the mainstream show um, that shall not be named. And so, um, yeah, it, it's a very narrow <laughs> slice of drag culture. So I, you know, I would kind of let them know a few things about the history of drag. Um, you know, and also these days to advocate for them to go and support their local drag shows because you've got drag queens, drag kings, drag things. People are expressing their gender in a variety of ways as gender is a spectrum. Drag interpretations that you see on stages at many local shows can run the gamut. People call themselves drag queens sometimes if they're a bit of a blend of both. Drag things, drag aliens, drag monsters, there's all sorts out there and a variety of performance styles as well from you know, the lip sync kind of thing that you do see mm -hmm. on almost said it and <laughs> stand up there's live singers people who do a variety of different types of performance styles as well within the drag genre so yeah i would say go and check out your local shows because you'll see just how incredible they often are and they are um often pushed to the side a little bit because of certain styles of mainstream drag taking precedent <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, what got you into drag, and how long have you guys been doing it? Who wants to go first? You go first, Jodie. I go first. My, in, my involvement with drag is really interesting. So, for those um, that sort of look at politics, when I was at school, I wanted to be a politician. And then I failed my higher modern studies essay and realised maybe politics wasn't for me. <laughs> and I sort of... I, at the same time was doing drama and really kind of was into theatre. I remember in advance how English the girls wanted me to do Mercutio from Romeo and Juliet in drag and I was like nah I don't think drag's for me girls it's not my kind of thing and when I was 19 and I discovered my queer identity went to the nightlife here um, to the LGBT spaces in Edinburgh me and a friend at the time were like let's get in drag for a laugh because Certain TV shows actually weren't really that popular in the UK at that point. What was really popular was going on a night out and getting in drag for a laugh and having some drinks and dancing. And we just done it for a laugh. And I felt this almost kind of transformative process where it was like, I went from being this really insecure person out of drag to, oh, I'm really confident. I can command a room. I can walk about and, and feel good about myself. Um, which is a blessing, but also a curse in the drag scene I've often found because there's this fine line of, being really amazing in drag but then relying on drag for far too much which then became kind of a big part of my journey so I ended up on nights out performing for free for fun there were things called um, tip buckets in Edinburgh we never really had them but we were all doing this drag show at CC Blooms every Sunday and it was called the Church of High Kicks I made sort of a comment of maybe we could have like a church bucket and we could get some coins so we ended up having these tip buckets circulating the Edinburgh shows and it was then kind of myself, Amy Lamore, Alice Rabbit, a few other drag artists um, in Edinburgh were like maybe we should try and actually run our own shows and actually do this the way we would want. My thing was always more about running club nights as a DJ, hosting cabarets, it wasn't a drag show that would be just drag queens, I've never had an emphasis on that for my own experience as an aesthetic. Um, my house, which is a drag house called the House of Liability, predominantly now is more drag artists and drag kings as opposed to just drag queens, which I quite like. Um, and I think in terms of sort of my journey and what got me into it, I think I also did a lot of my own sort of work about health issues in drag, which was really fun and interesting. Um, I live with cystic fibrosis. I've experienced a lot of mental health issues and I've done a lot of gender work. And having drag as a sort of art medium to do live art performance um, really helped audiences, I think, understand and get educated on these serious topics. Mm. Um, 
And then obviously when the pandemic happened, we all had to learn how to use a green screen very quickly because our income, and I can see Dorian laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. It was like, oh no, we're in lockdown one, two, 505, and we're gonna have to make all this content and just hope something sticks on the wall. Um, which kind of then led to me working in short film, um, which then led to me doing the Creative Youth documentary. So, so yeah, I think I've answered that question with a lot. <laughs> but, but I think for me, the whole point of drag was always about learning about myself through it. And then when I started to really enjoy my life outside of drag, I was like, maybe I just want to be a non-binary singer and cabaret host now. Maybe that's the vibe. Um, yeah, for me, I got into drag about six years ago in China, weirdly. I spent most of my life in oh. China. Yeah, and there's a drag scene in, in little pockets of China, um, quite underground, as you can imagine. But um, it was six years ago, and I discovered my queer identity later in life and was venturing out into the Shanghai queer scene and went to an event that was uh, on the Valentine's Day in Shanghai's lesbian bar. And it was being hosted by a drag king. I'd never seen a drag king before. And so got to know them. And they were then um, in Shanghai, an American expat um, and a burlesque edged type drag king performer and were producing shows and put a call out for help to help them run that year's Shanghai Pride's Pride's Got Talent contest. And I'd had a working background in events production and did a lot of backstage work um, professionally. So I said, I'll help uh, and went along to the auditions, had a look at who was going to perform and took my notes. And then I thought I need to kind of put a bit of effort in. Everyone's going to be so fabulous. So I devised a backstage roadie kind of persona for that event and kind of had a bit of a mood board made up of 80s rock stars that I liked as a kid and a bit of Johnny Depp smushed in there and created uh, this character that was Dorian T. Fisk, the backstage manager for that show. And then subsequently I was invited back for different shows that they were doing at this venue in Shanghai and always appeared as Dorian, but never in front of the curtain, always behind the curtain, occasionally in front of the curtain, picking up stuff and moving mics about, but just kind of this roadie dude. Um, and eventually there was an opportunity, a bit of a low pressure, non-ticketed event where they were saying, go and put an, an act together, maybe do an act in front of the curtain. And so I put something together that was an ode to Alice Cooper and uh, had, that was it, August 2016, I think, was my first actual in front of the curtain performance. And then it sort of went on from there. Um, it's been a definite journey for me over the six years, um, going from a lot of sort of wanting to blend in type drag king looks to my more recent looks. I've been a fish on stage with a full oh. fish. <laughs> so it's kind of run the gamut. <laughs> it's a fun journey and it's still evolving I think Geordie was mentioning this sort of journey of self-discovery that happens as you perform as a drag artist you know mm. it takes you places you never thought you'd go yeah definitely yeah so what does drag mean to you um I'm gonna have to think about this one shall I let you go first Doria? yeah sure so drag for me is definitely um creative artistic expression you know self-expression being a genderqueer person it does give me that window you know, and place to play with gender and express myself in different ways that you know I wouldn't normally get the chance to express myself as um, and put it on stage and entertain people so it's an art form and it you know it's definitely my passion um, it's also got a massive part of my community now and particularly since lockdown we really did pull together particularly up here in Scotland there are a few things going on and a lot of us kind of focused on building some creative positive energy that was coming out of that and um, it's become a really supportive community particularly for the drag king community and alternative drag artists as well so it's very much that um, it can consume be all consuming uh, and stuff but it is definitely one of those those art forms that is constantly creatively challenging so um, that's mm. what it means for me mm. yeah I mean I'd like to echo that for me it really was about gender expression from the set um, like from the very beginning stages it was about having fun I've said this before to Dorian and to other people, like for me, it's always been about having fun. And I think the freedom to make mistakes and learn about yourself. I know that with me, like, you know, I just wanted to lip sync Whitney Houston and have a laugh in a nightclub and get, you know, a little bit pissed. Whereas it then became about, oh, I could talk about having, you know, going for lung transplant and, and really like living through my pain through a beautiful fantasy. Um, and that was a show I'd done in 2020 that kind of like depicted that. And I think for me, 
again, echoing the sense of community. You know, I met a lot of my second family and my adopted family through the drag community. But also, I think what was really beautiful for me was seeing people that I had known since I was at high school who came forward and were like, I'd love to like learn about drag and, and seeing them go on their journey of, you know, confidence. You know, I've got friends that are introverts who they love socializing, but they want to sit in and hear the conversation. And then when they're in drag, they are the conversation. You know, they're the people that are now telling you what's right and what's wrong. And I think that's fantastic. Um, for me, it means so much, especially for younger people. I know that as things are getting on and as the older I'm getting, um, I'm, I'm 27, but I feel like an old soul. <laughs> I, I meet a lot of young people. I did a drag school last year with uh, the Big Burn Supper and, and there were people there that were 12 that were like, I want to be a drag queen. I want to be a drag artist. And I was like, wow. Like when I was at school, I just wanted to get my exams finished. Like, and now these people are like, I want to be on stages doing this. Um, and I think for me, drag, the biggest thing I think that it means to me is that there's no right or wrong to it. Like, you know, Dorian, like you were mentioning, does incredible looks like the fish look, all these things that I've never seen with drag. And I'm like, wow. And there are people on Instagram that they do incredible makeup looks. And I'm like, I'm never going to be that level. That was never it for me. But then there are people that perform on stage that are incredible dancers in drag. So yeah, for me, it's definitely a sense of freedom. And I think, um, an opportunity to learn about yourself for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think we've touched on this a little bit already, but has doing drag had an influence on your gender identity or vice versa? Yeah, I can jump in straight on this one and try not take too long for it. Um, <laughs> I think it did for me. I think for years, I know that in the drag community, you know, there are a lot of people who do drag that identify as trans, but that does not mean that all trans people do drag. Like, you know, this is a bigger conversation that a lot of, you know, I'm not saying this to be nasty, but a lot of straight cis people from the different backgrounds are like, oh, you do drag, you must be trans or vice versa. And it's it's a different thing, but it can influence it. I know that for me, I was like, the moment I put on this outfit and this wig, I feel really fun, I feel really exaggerated. But when I started not wearing wigs and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do quite androgynous makeup. I'm gonna wear a really fluffy like jacket, but then not wear a wig. And I was like, oh, I quite like how this feels all the time. You know, I could go on a night out like this and it doesn't feel like drag to me. Mm -hmm. So it did really help me um, and influence my gender identity. And I think, I think a lot of people, there's a bigger conversation about what non-binary identity and being gender fluid is. I think I saw something recently that was like, oh, non-binary, the third gender. And I was like, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a third gender. It's about aligning with both or neither. It's not about a third different thing on its own. Um, so yeah, I think it can definitely influence everyone's gender identity, but I think the important conversation is like, it doesn't mean that, you know, I know cisgendered men who do drag that mm. out of drag identify as a cisgendered man. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's journey is different and you can have a starting point that is X and it just keeps changing and it can fluctuate um, and things like that. So personally for me, um, it was just, uh, it was just a fun thing at the beginning and then the more I started to present in a more hyper masculine let's say realistic looking form it started to sort of have a bit more of a penny dropping like that there was an inherent part of me that was identifying as male and suddenly having this art form to express that was you know really amazing and freeing um, and then through over the, throughout the years I think the influence has been that more now in my day-to-day -day life, I probably lean towards the masculine end of the gender spectrum than the feminine end. And I've chucked out all my, my heels and my dresses. Don't know what that means. <laughs> but I, I would certainly not want to wear any really feminine clothes these days. So mm. yeah, definitely. Well, maybe you'll figure out what it means in a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you've got anything you want to give to me, Dorian, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> Free stuff. Uh, right, so what would you say to people who claim that drag is transphobic? Because I have heard that one quite a bit. Not it's not inherently transphobic, but there are certainly transphobic people in the world of drag. Mm. Yeah, that is a very good <laughs> short answer to that. Um, I've, I have not come across anyone at the moment who, in my circle and community, have, have felt like, Oh, if you do drag, you're transphobic, especially people that are trans. But I think the important thing is there can be like anything and what Dorian says, 
there can be you know i've known people in the career community that i'm not i'm not having a go at them i've got friends i've dated them but i've known a few cisgendered gay men to be quite transphobic but then they do drag and i've been a bit like how does that work do you know anything about your culture like no <laughs> um so i know that that does exist um but i think yeah the, the conversation around transphobia and drag um i can't really see it i've never experienced it myself that much but i'm quite grateful for that that i've not but yeah i think there's been other conversations about you know um, i know that a lot of turfs trans exclusionary radical feminists don't agree with drag and think that they're calling it women face now and i'm sort of like okay that's an interesting idea and probably a little bit problematic so women yeah, face really yeah and that's something as, it, as in comparing it to blackface i think i think that's the intention and it's very problematic and, and not acceptable in any way um yeah and i think for me it's like it it's just not comparable for starts but also um, that's the bigger thing I'm seeing, especially on social media at the moment, is that conversation mm. around is drag offensive to women? Um, yeah. I think the, the stuff that I've mostly seen about like this kind of, um, is it transphobic, was mostly uh, people who think that drag is literally does like men dress, dressing up as women, which then invalidates trans women, which isn't, because it's not the same thing as you said like doing drag and being trans like it can interlink but it's not the same thing mm -hmm. but that is something that I have heard before yeah I mean I wouldn't really want to quote it but there is from that tv show that we've mentioned I mentioned mm -hmm. a little bit earlier and there was I think Monica Beverly Hills is the drag queen if that serves me right is my memory my memory's shocking but I remember her being one of the first openly trans contestants and and being asked, you know, what's the difference between tra uh, drag and trans? And she said, drag is what I do, trans is who I am. And I'm like, yeah, like that's mm -hmm. a really good way to explain it. I don't know if you've got yeah. any thoughts on that, Dorian. I, I just think they're two very different things, right? One is who you are and the other is a kind of an art form, a thing that you, it, it is just a creative expression. Mm -hmm. Quite different. Yeah. Spot on. Mm. Uh, which drug artists inspire you? Is that for both of us? I yeah. Mean, oh, okay. Can I have a think about this? I feel like you already know. Yeah. I definitely, well, I have to mention kings that inspire me. Of course, we've got pioneering kings who have won reality TV contests, such as Hugo Girl and Landon Sider. Um, um, there are more, but they have looks and styles and things they do in terms of their community and advocacy. Um, for kings that they inspire me, Landon Sider and Hugo Girl. Um, then you've got the godfather of drag kings in the UK, Adam All. Similar reasons why they're inspiring. They've been going for over a decade now as well. Um, and then there are some incredible artists who, like I've recently started to do a bit more um, prosthetics and things like that, and they create pieces that are incredible. So there's Chris Grinder. They're, um, I think they're um, in South America. I want to say. I want to say Puerto Rico. Um, however, look them up. They're amazing with face prosthetics and looks. And also you've got a king in Bristol called Manly Mannington, who does some really theatrical performances as well. So where I got my start in drag, as I mentioned, in Shanghai, the audience in Shanghai was very multilingual and multicultural. So I didn't lip sync for the first half of my time as a drag king performing because people wouldn't ordinarily understand the lyrics. Mm. Um, everybody would understand the lyrics so I got my start with a lot more sort of theatrical numbers um, and Manly Mannington also has that style and so they're they're a king to watch an up-and-coming incredible performance artist in Bristol yeah brilliant I think for me and um, there are multiple ones that I absolutely am inspired by now especially in the sort of face of 2022 I think and um, there's a brilliant comedian called Jodie Mitchell who also goes under the alias of John Travolva as a drag king and um, they're absolutely hilarious they're based in London I'm pretty sure at the moment I interviewed them for a podcast. I love their idea of sort of drag king and sort of old um, 90s sort of like Brit pub dads. I think it's hilarious and so cool. Um, but I also really am keen to be inspired by artists who do drag, but then various other things, because that's kind of what I do as well. Mm. Um, I think Whole Star is a brilliant drag queen who's also assigned female at birth and openly spoken about 
the political issues that are happening in drag right now, which I kind of love. Their Twitter is hilarious. I would definitely check Cole Star out. Um, I think Lee Bowery, although he's sadly no longer here, was a huge um, inspiration when I was studying art school. I was looking at sort of gender expression artists and club kid culture. Um, and I definitely think Lee Bowery's work was something I really enjoyed. I, I'm very keen on how drag can be done in unconventional ways that are interesting and don't follow the trends. So uh, yeah, I think that's someone. I do also quite like the drag queen from Drag Race, Sasha Velour, just because she does a lot of multimedia stuff in her shows, which mm. I really enjoy. I feel like there's a concept as opposed to just sort of, um, just to sort of turn up and sing a song, which I mean, is what I do. So I've just read my own drag to filth. But I think what I love is watching her videos and how she does multi things in it. Um, there's loads of, it's so hard for me to choose. I'm just gonna stick with those three because <laughs> I can spend all day. Oh, one more, Mary Mack, who is a Scottish drag queen based in London. I love because she sings, she sung at Pride in 2019, that's how I met her, but she did an advert for Iron Brew. She's so old school with her humour, which I really like. I like when drag mm. queens have that sort of like, um, that comedy that was expected maybe in panto, but she's also quite gorgeous and her outfits are brilliant. And she's been on the West End with Everybody's Tommy Jamie. Again, it's lovely to see shows like that, talking about drag, um, yeah. Amazing, thank you. Um, so have either of you ever had any negative experiences while in drag? Because it is like you are, you know, putting yourself in quite a vulnerable position if there's people around who are maybe yeah. not, you know, from the community or just a bit transphobic or just, you know, bigots. Um, so has, has anything ever you know come up and how do you deal with that yeah um there's a lot of things at shows now that start with telling the audience how to behave because it can often be that the audience step over the mark a little bit um for me anyway personally having had been prodded and touched without consent has been a thing that i've experienced um i'm sure geordie has as well a lot of drag artists do have to reiterate just because we're up here performing and look like this, it's not an invitation, um, mm. that sort of thing. So yeah, there's there's been a bit of that for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, oh, I, I could give a TED talk on this, by the way. Like, let me tell you, I mean, I'd done a thing with the BBC Social last year that was all about things not to ask a drag queen or drag artist because mm. it's like, but we hear it all the time. Like I'd put a call out being like, drag artist, contact me with some shocking stories you have. And that, yeah, I had to kind of try and simplify a huge list. Um, and I think the funny thing about that video, I tried to make it a joke, but it was quite serious, was, you know, there's this thing of, can I touch your bum? And then I, in the video, I'm like, can I break your arm? And obviously it's kind of this thing of like, at drag shows of any kind, when I've hosted, when I've performed, there's been a huge thing. And I'm I'm not even gonna, I recently spoke at this, uh, at this about something. Um, and I talked about this, saying that like, there's this thing of like, I don't even want to really unnecessarily assign gender and backgrounds because, I think you could be from any background, but you're like, oh, I can touch a drag artist on the bum, or I can, you know, my biggest thing I've hated is someone kind of being like, oh my God, I love your makeup and like touching my face. And I'm like, whoa, like boundaries, like boundaries. What's interesting is I noticed the pandemic almost became when shows started to reopen, but then they closed again. And then I went back to DJ and there's almost been a little hesitance of, oh, because of the pandemic, I shouldn't come near you. And I'm like, you can keep that mentality. I don't want you anywhere near me. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and it's a shame because I do know there's so many people from drag kings to drag queens to drag artists that they have experienced, you know, being touched um, inappropriately. Or there's also a thing like I've been asked out a lot in drag and it feels like almost like I call them chasers that they're essentially like, I'm going to try and sleep with that drag artist. I think that'll be fun. And I'm like, no. And there's a big entitlement of, you know, I'm attractive, so you'll want to sleep with me and it's the poor officer. I'm like, no, like that ain't gonna happen. Um, so yeah, it does happen a lot. I think, I'm glad you mentioned that Dorian. It does, it shows now get emphasized at the beginning, you know, house rules, mm. blah, 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 don't touch, don't do this. I mean, the fact that we have to do that in itself is a problem just because we shouldn't have to tell people, keep your hands to yourself, it's 2022. 
but until people stop doing it we'll keep doing it and we'll keep saying it mm-hmm. um yeah I do hope that with time we can really be having these conversations in a really healthy way to sort mm-hmm. of say look this isn't acceptable but it has kind of been happening yeah yeah so do you want to tell us about the things that you talked about or not to ask drag artists yeah I mean it was just like can I t- like I always get asked can I touch your bum can I and can I touch your makeup um and you know I have been it's almost like they're about to grow up again and they think they think it's funny like someone spanked me once on a night out on a Hindu and thought it was hilarious and I was just like, why would you? and I, you know, in my brain, it was like, if a man did that to you, you wouldn't find that appropriate. So why would yeah. you drag artists? You know, that's that's what I always feel. But then I've had straight men do it or questioning men because maybe they're not straight. Maybe they're in the queer umbrella somewhere. Um, and they have again been like that. And it's and it's difficult um because you I think I'm now at a point in my career where I have no issue telling someone, I'll put it politely because we're on a webinar to F off doesn't bother me like it doesn't affect me it doesn't affect the show but I know there are a lot of younger artists who go into this who think I really want to make a good impression I want to have this show I don't want to upset people and and they shouldn't have to feel like that they should be able to say no don't touch me there um yeah so what would you say to those maybe there's a question for both of you what would you say to those young starting artists like how should they go about establishing those boundaries? If there's not no, uh, if there's not any house rules, what should they do if something inappropriate does happen, but they feel a bit, you know, like, oh, what do I do now? Hmm. Um, well, if they're performing in a show, you mean? If they're performing yeah. in a show, my first point of call would be the show host, the show producer, um, mm-hmm. letting them know. And, you know, if it's obviously an urgent situation, if you're in a venue where you have the option of letting security know, or letting staff know, but making sure, and there are the show producers that will get that person seen to and eject it out of the venue. And that's that's happened at shows where I've been, been mauled a little bit. They've been, I went straight to the show host, they got on the mic, got that person found and ejected straight away. So, you know, you, you do have the right to get that person removed. They shouldn't be in a venue acting like that. So it's good to like remember, I suppose, that the people that work at the venue are there to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And also, you're being paid to perform; they're not being paid to be there. Like, if they <laughs> if they want to come and make you inappropriate, get them out. Like, yeah, I was going to be very inappropriate and just like take your heel off and smack them across the face. <laughs> <laughs> but but jokes aside, genuinely, like, no, like I think my biggest thing has always been going to management. Um, I think something to be mindful of and I hate to say it because it sounds so cynical of me but if you're going into a venue that don't necessarily always have drag then security can sometimes be a bit ignorant to oh are you just being a bit annoying I'm mm. tired I can't worry about this so I just think always the best protocol is straight to management and mm-hmm. um, because they will tell the security and the security will obviously listen to management um yeah and, and to echo everything Dor- Dorian has said yeah like it is a case of speaking to the showrunners you know I do have faith in all the showrunners that I know that if that happened they would remove people um I've been at I've been at shows as actually just a customer watching supporting and people have been removed because of that behavior so yeah I recently spoke at performed at a cabaret where someone was heckling and they were told to remove they were told to leave because they were heckling mm-hmm. um yeah it's just I just think there's no room for ignorance like that and especially when you're breaching someone's personal comfort zone like that um, yeah, yeah but but I think the reason I said sort of younger people going into it you know I just remember being in that mindset of 19 like I want to impress people I want people to think I'm good and people will think you're good but they're not going to think you're a bad person for saying that person has inappropriately touched me or harassed me no like if anything they want that person out because then the following day people are talking about that one person that ruined the show mm-hmm. um, that was harassing people so yeah, yeah. Because I, I suppose, I don't know, I imagine I would feel a bit like, oh, I don't want to, like, pause the show so I can tell this person to stop. But it's not it's not going to ruin the show because other people can see if they're being inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be like, oh, well, you ruined it now. Like, I'm not having fun anymore. Mm-hmm. I can quickly add a wee story. Like, I did a show in 2020 just when the pandemic started. And the last show, a woman came. And during my last performance, it was on a night like this by Kelly Minogue. 
and uh, had a Scottish flag out for some reason. I think um, there was a reason behind that choice. But it was our last performance at our venue because the venue was shutting. And, and it was a straight venue, but management were so supportive because mm. the manager's family were LGBT, so she knew how it all worked. And the woman came on repeatedly during my number. I stopped it and was like, can you please have her taken off stage? Because she wasn't even just like, going on stage and sort of dancing about, she was literally trying to pull me up with her. And I was like, whoa, no. And when it got to the third time, I, you know, just canceled the performance, went, right, do you know what, no. And I know that at the time I was like, oh my God, I've ruined the show and everyone hates me. But literally minutes later, everyone came up to me and was like, you did a brilliant show. That's such a shame she ruined it. There was no need for that. And I went, yeah, there you go. Like this mm-hmm. wasn't a, you're a bad person for stopping the show. It was, she has essentially, ruined the show because she kind of was being a bit entitled um so yeah you do feel like that at the time but at the end of the day like I've, I've still worked after that show <laughs> so I must be doing something mm. <laughs> so she actually got on stage with you yeah like on and out of this by Kelly came on the first like two sentences of the verse and then it was like the you kiss me I'm falling and she just went oh here we go and started get, got up dancing Dorian probably knows her you're looking like, yeah, I know that woman. We've all seen her. Um, the time. And, and, and eventually, I was, people people were taking her down, and I was like, right, good. But then she just kept coming up, and eventually I just was like, nah, do you know what? No. And I and I restarted the song. Like, right, everyone, this is not how we do this. Restarted it, and then she did it again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you know what? No. Like, mm-hmm. but, you know, you have to kind of address these things. You know, a lot of hosts, sometimes people are filming on Instagram being like, look at this host being unprofessional like giving back chat to this person and then you find out that person was like slagging a performer off on stage saying all these horrible things about them and it's and goading them yeah not the vibe yeah thank you for sharing that i think that's so important to talk about these things yeah um right so dorian uh Uh, I got you here because Jody actually recommended you, as I mentioned to you before. And I looked through your website and I saw your costumes. And I was like, that's incredible. Um, would you like to talk a bit about how you learn how to make them, how long it takes you to make them and everything about that? Yeah, I can do that. So I learn as I go. Definitely haven't done any training in anything. Can't really sew. Literally tried to sew a straight line on some trousers last night and had to get someone to help me. So <laughs> all, uh, a lot of um, effects that I'm just learning along the way. So, you know, I, I generally like to upcycle and repurpose things and create costumes from things I've thrifted or found on the street. So some of the more elaborate costumes that I've made, you may have seen on the website, I have a kind of yes. cyborg, cyborg gunslinger from another galaxy kind of play a vibe costume that took me several weeks definitely because I purchased um some motorcycle armor cut it all up made it different parts for the body you know body armor and then learned some paint techniques using just acrylics to kind of create a tarnished kind of battle worn you know look with it it has some lighting up elements you know and electronic elements that I got from the back of a washing machine that was dumped on the street you know and things like that (laughs) how did you how did you incorporate that into a costume like I I got the circuit board out of the back of a washing machine took it home and then got very carefully with protective eyewear (laughs) and you pulled off some of the wires and just hot hot glue is the drag artist's best friend so (laughs) hot glued that thing together I did pick up some wire that has a little battery pack and it lights up so I threaded that through and that can be you know something I activate with a little button on the costume and it lights up and that sort of thing it's just kind of I you can see behind me a costume there probably can't see it in detail but it's a black feathery kind of costume Mm. feathers are made from bicycle inner tire tubes I have a bag down here so I've just cut up the bicycle inner tire tubes and made little feathers and then hand sew them all over a mesh bodysuit to sort of create this sort of fetish edged crow maybe it's a work in progress so (laughs) it can take weeks um the fish face prosthetic just youtube tutorials and kind of Mm. playing with different materials lots of things ended up in the bin so you know it's it can take 
an hour or so over a number of weeks where I have set aside some creative play day timing in my schedule. I like to do that just where I just focus on doing stuff for fun. And, and that's where I kind of try and teach myself a little bit of different technique that I then hopefully acquire enough of a skill in to apply it to some of the costume making in the future. So yeah, some costumes can take weeks, <laughs> literally. I, I think for someone who, you know, is just learning as you go, as you said, your costumes are mind-blowing thank you <laughs> honestly beautiful do you like where do you get inspiration like what sort of costume do you just randomly think about like oh I'd, I'd like to try this or do you see yeah. something and you're like it can be that exactly looking at um things I find on the street acquiring scraps mm. of fabric that could be a cool look for something or evoke a kind of vibe and then I've got a box of things that's just like majestic and it's like any time there's maybe a theme or I'm inspired to do an act that's kind of regal or I don't know, like an otherworldly type vibe, mm. it's kind of like a creature of power. I go into that box and pull out some of the fabric and it kind of this dress form behind me is one I can pin fabric scraps into. So I'll dress a vibe, you know, with all different types mm. of things. My mother has a seemingly infinite amount of costume jewelry because she's been doing amateur dramatics for Ooh. decades like anytime I go back home um, to Bristol to her place I raid that and then come back with all sorts of stuff and so I'll pull things together and sort of throw mm. up an idea of a look and get a feel for it and then go from there really it can also be I've come across a really cool bit of music after a night going down a rabbit hole on YouTube listening to stuff because YouTube's got that algorithm that will throw up you know, and as other music streaming sites, mm -hmm. they, they'll throw up suggestions based on what you liked before. And I'll find some really cool pieces of music and then that will inspire yeah. a theme. Some shows give a theme to you. And oh, okay. A lot of the shows I would do in Shanghai were themed shows. So that's mm -hmm. a really, I like that constriction um, or that restriction around designing within a theme because you can force yourself to come up with something you initially pulling your hair out, trying to think of something. But if you break through that creative block, and sometimes I found and still love performing some of my weirdest acts coming from a theme of Year of the Pig, because we was in Shanghai and I ended up doing um, a, 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 an act based on being a vegan or not being a vegan rather, and being chased around by a giant piece of bacon <laughs> from that theme. So that's what you end up with. Mm. <laughs> Uh, do you want to maybe tell us your website and your social media if people would like to have a look themselves? You can go to doriantfisk.com, D-O-R-I-A-N-T-F-I-S-K, fisk.com. And I've got a lot of my looks and videos and up, things are up there if you'd have a look at. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, okay, Jordi. Besides doing drag, you also work in theatre and film by combining this with your drag persona. Was it a decision you made at the beginning of your career and why? Yeah, I mean, how can I follow on from that amazing chat about Dorian's costumes? I don't know how I can do that. I do, <laughs> I want to quickly say, like, I love, like, Dorian's, your drag is just such a, like, gamer's vibe. I love it. You're, like, so CGI cool. I feel mm. like my boyfriend and Metamore would be obsessed. I'm going to get them to follow you. Um, but, like, yeah, I think... I am more down the sort of like, um, I'm, I, I've got a glue gun. I bought one for art school. I've used it three times. That's terrible. My degree was a waste of time. But in terms of like film and uh, theatre and stuff, I am just going to double check this question because I've waffled. But yes, I do. Yes. So I think for me, the thing of, I mentioned earlier, but the thing of working in film was by chance. That was because of the pandemic. I had never learned how to use a camera. I was doing a lot of um, live art and stuff since 2017. So my first my first thing in drag that was more theater as opposed to doing drag shows in club spaces was with Birds of Paradise Theater Company in mm -hmm. Glasgow. They're a theater company that work predominantly with people that are from um, diverse backgrounds of disabled and um, neurodiverse and people that have access needs, which I think is really important. I did a piece all about medication and cystic fibrosis at their intergenerational cabaret summer hall. And I took a gamble. I kind of went, do you know what? I could lip sync Cinderella, A Dream Is A Wish Your Heart Makes and do it about medicine, but people might think it's really fucking weird. Oh, pardon French, but they might think it's really odd. Um, whoops, canceled. But they might think it's really weird. 
and they might be like, what am I watching right now? But for some reason, they just really enjoyed it. They thought it was hilarious. And I was like, okay, maybe there's something in this. Mm -hmm. So I then ended up working with the BBC to do a documentary about me, um, about my life having CF. And I was making a lot of drag work. You know, I'd done, there was a drug called Orkambi that the NHS was trying to get um, and the government were trying to secure it, but there was a lot of issues. And at that time I did a performance, it was Breathless by The Course. And I was sort of like, oh, maybe I could do this about campaigning for this drug. And it just seemed to really like, a lot of people shared it. It seemed to get like a lot of um, exposure, the CF Trust seen it, and then they ended up collaborating with me, which was lovely. So mm. I think for me, the working in sort of theater and film and, and even now music, like I'm making an EP, and this is my sort of 2023 non-binary singer only and last drag show. And I think I've been very much like, I want to try and do this in ways people wouldn't expect. When I'd done my show about lung transplants and CF in 2020, a lot of people came and it was almost like a sort of adult panto that it was like this really sad piece of this girl who needs to get lung transplant. And, and then they were in Newcastle and they were doing a game show of Find Your Lungs and the audience thought this was so chaotic and didn't have a clue what was going on. And that was kind of what I was trying to do. And I was really lucky because that show just it won an award, which I was like, oh my gosh, people think I can do this. <laughs> um, and that was it. So I think for me, like, I think the bigger thing was that for years I wanted to work in theatre and the industry in general to work in theatre, to work in music is, you know, you've got to kick a hundred doors down to get one foot in. Mm. And I then work, it went into drag by chance from going on nights out and becoming a DJ. So I think now it's kind of came fully around in circle that I'm now going into theatre more and film more and still doing makeup as a non-binary artist as opposed to drag. Um, and I think if I hadn't done drag, I wouldn't have realised I was non-binary. So I think these things do naturally progress the right way. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I've answered your question. Um, yeah, how it all just kind of fell into place, yeah. Uh, would you, what did you do? I haven't asked you to share your social media, have I? No. Okay. <laughs> um, so my website is jorydelightofficial.co.uk um, and you can get me on Instagram at jorydelightofficial and I wouldn't follow me on Twitter because all I post is negative comments with Tories. Uh, today's a good day <laughs> in case you've been following politics so yes. I am Jordy underscore delight on Twitter <laughs> and I am on YouTube singing uh, Nicki Minaj um, and all these other artists if you want to check mm. me out again Jordy delight on YouTube but yeah thank you uh, okay so last question what advice would you give someone who's thinking about trying out drag mm. yeah good one um, if they are <laughs> of an age where they they can get to see local drag shows, I would certainly suggest that they start to go in and explore their local drag scene um, initially, try to make some connections. If they're just at home and they've got access to the internet and they can start trying out some basic makeup looks, just get going with it and see what feels right to you. And you know, and you'll discover your inner drag persona over time and that can change. And, and there's no right or wrong way, just don't appropriate from a cultural lived experience that is not your own. Would be mm. um, try to get as many different types of inspiration as possible and absorb, um, and don't expect it to be the sort of caliber that you might be seeing in general, and don't give yourself a hard time if you're not at that level, because it takes, it can take years, and, and there's so much more, I'm sure Jordi will agree, like anybody at any level can always keep learning, but it, it does take work and just keep practicing and if you are not adverse to getting an Instagram account or an account where you can kind of document your progress it's kind of nice to look back and see how much progress you make because you will make a lot of progress the more you try and the more you keep keep experimenting. I mean I echo everything that you've just said Dorian I think <laughs> I've been doing this on paper professionally since 2017 and I'm still learning I'm, I'm always learning about new stuff I um I have four drag kids in the drag house and they're mm. all doing amazing different things which I love none of them are copying each other but then if one of them wants advice on stand-up one of them goes to that person if one of them wants makeup tips they go to that person and and for me there's nothing wrong with sharing skills I think there is a very cutthroat nature of you know it's it's competitive in any sector in the industry 
And I think like drag, there does feel like this. I've got to throw this one under the bus to get a gig because that's what you see on TV. But it really, mm-hmm. it isn't that. It's about helping each other learn. Um, and I think YouTube, I know Dorian mentioned it making outfits. For me, the amount of times I get asked, so where did you learn to do makeup, right? <laughs> it's the one question I get asked by every single person. And mine's was always trial and error. You know, I started doing it in 2015 for a laugh. I did some questionable looks that I took off Instagram. Some of them I kept up for a good laugh when I'm feeling low. But, you know, you have to try things out. And YouTube tutorials actually were the best place. This gorgeous trans woman called Nikki Tutorials was who actually taught me really good makeup. And um, that I went, wow, that's the real, that's the vibe I want to go for now with mine. Um, and I think... If you're starting out, yeah, go and see drag shows that are local as much as you can that aren't just by certain events. You know, try and go see your local bars if you can, if there's underage events. Once you're 18, um, be patient. Um, ask, ask to get booked if you want to try stuff out. And I think, um, I think definitely trying out looks is the key thing because, you know, I think as well, I've got a kid who in my drag house is like, oh, it's not amazing. My makeup doesn't look polished after like three attempts. And I'm like, you've done drag literally three months. Like I didn't get my makeup <laughs> for a year. Like, mm. and even then, you know, I, if I'm in a rush and do my makeup quick, I instantly go, you're going to hate this because you've had to rush this. And I'll look at my makeup and go, do you know what? Like, it's lovely, but I've done it better. And I've been doing it, God knows how long now. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think, um, and, and last thing, the ability to make mistakes in terms of performances, try things out. And if they don't work, well, you know, next time, you know, you you can go into a crowd of like 100 people, do a song that you think they're going to love. None of them know it for some reason. Or you can go into a crowd of 10 people and do a popular song that none of them know. But equally, you could go into like a crowd and you've got multiple people who love something that you thought was going to be kind of basic and no one would enjoy. It, you mm. just never know. But yeah practice because I know a lot of drag artists that they turn up they lip sync they do a deaf drop that's them and I'm sort of like come on like we could do a little bit better <laughs> right so we've got some uh questions here uh we've got a couple minutes so we'll try to answer some of them um do you have any favorite memories of being in drag or seeing drag that's a hard one do you have yeah. any favorite memories of being in drag or being drag? I, I remember one of my earliest memories of seeing drag was rue jazzle who's based in glasgow who's done a lot for the drag community she did spectrum say my name by florence and the machine at a sort of new night in 2015 called such drag and I remember watching it and just being like, that is like incredible. And I went, there was something about her having this like disco ball and like rolling it around the place. And I just was like, that was wild. Like that was so beautiful to watch. Um, I always remember as well seeing as a kid, like a drag queen that was a cisgendered woman who played Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty singing Sonica Put a Spell on You, the club remix. And I just was like, whatever that is, I want to do that in the future. <laughs> My favorite memories every time I'm doing a very realistic, let's say, masculine drag look, particularly um, where I've got my long beards on that are nicely braided, some of my more Viking-esque looks, and I can avoid the long line at the ladies' loo and just waltz straight into it. <laughs> um, one of those favorite memories in particular was when I came out of the stall and was you know, washing my hands, obviously, and the dude had a beard next to me and, and made a lovely comment about how much he liked my beard. And I kind of grunted because obviously I can't do, you know, my voice is this voice. So I sort of did a grunt and, you know, thanks, walked out. That's one of the top <laughs> Complimented. <laughs> Men and their beards in Scotland, it's a big thing. So I thought, mm. It really is, you're spot on, actually. <laughs> so yeah that was a bit of a high point <laughs> uh how has performing in different cultural spaces be it different countries cities mm. or even neighborhoods bars clubs informed your approach to or curation of drag oh i can answer that one initially <laughs> yeah um starting as i've said in china obviously playing to an audience that was very often mixed nationality mixed gender mixed sexual orientation you know my approach had to be from how can i break down what i want to say on stage in a very story 
like fashion so that it could be absorbed and understood by anyone no matter you know, what their cultural background so that was a kind of initial approach and I was very spoiled I soon came to realize shortly after arriving back in the UK with the amount of things I had at my disposal in terms of size of stage and technology lighting smoke machines and the curtains I've not I don't think I have ever performed at a stage here back in the UK where I've had curtains where I can mm. set up some of my props behind and there's you know so I had to very quickly also change a lot of my acts um, that were choreographed. No, I'm not a dancer, so I'm using choreographed in the sense of how I moved on stage. Um, and I had to sort of modify them to be good for stages where, you know, much smaller than what I was used to. And also sight lines are often in clubs and people are standing, not sitting at tables. And so sort of choreographing or re-blocking, as we like to say, everything from the waist up, because that's what most people could only see beyond mm. the first couple of rows. So, you know, and then I've come up with acts that I've liked in the past very much to have other people on stage with me. So I did a lot of group numbers or numbers where people had cameo roles and starting in a new environment back here in Scotland. And I didn't really know that many people. One of the first people I tried to ask to do one of the acts that I'd done in Shanghai, where, you know, there's a lot of things I do in my acts that are, you know, they're 18 plus, let's say. Um, and this was a, a drag queen who didn't really know who I was. And, and they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> I'm like, OK, yeah, it does take a little bit of time to build up trust with mm. people to get them to be on stage and do those types of cameo roles. So yeah. you know, it's like, how can I still feel like I'm doing me and my style of drag? But just me, it was like, oh, can I still do that with just me on stage? So it was you know, mm. interesting creative challenge. Like I said, drag always throws up these creative challenges, you know, and I like to say I might have a few solo acts, you know, since then that are just as compelling as the ones where I've get, you know, had people on stage with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk about a time when you were starting out as a drag artist where you felt really held and supported by the drag community or a fellow artist? That's a very sweet question. That I didn't get that question. What was that one? See that, say that again. Can you talk about a time when you were starting out as a drug artist where you felt really held and supported by the drug community or a fellow artist? Yeah, I mean, I can quickly jump in with that. Like when I did my show Waste the Youth in 2019, I interviewed a few drag artists who knew me from the drag scene um, and I'd performed with them, but I didn't really know them. And the choice behind that was they would be interviewed out of drag on the screen whilst I was doing live performances on stage. And what was lovely was they all had such lovely opinions of me, even though all we had done is perform together um, on stage. So it was nice. That's my buzzer going, by the way, apologies. Um, <laughs> so I think that was lovely, seeing that sort of, that opinion of me versus the professional opinion, for sure. Mm. Yeah, um, I'll just add any showrunner that actively makes a point of booking other drag styles on their stages on a regular basis or that books more than one drag king in their shows on a regular basis you know I've always really appreciated and there are a few here up in Scotland um obviously coming from Shanghai there was really just one drag show and we were all a mixed bag of people but yeah it's been um hard nut to crack coming back and um, but there are a few Geordie is one that does a lot to ensure that they are representing the diverse breadth of drag artistry that's you know part of the incredible talent pool at their disposal up here in Scotland mm. at least and elsewhere and it's really great when a showrunner or a host speaks to that when they're introducing different styles of drag performers and sometimes the audiences like to talk through performances that aren't the certain type of performance that they're used to seeing and so it's really nice when they're told to STFU yeah. <laughs> and I think the thing is with the drag scene like you know there's been obstacles over the years where there there's always like anything in any industry a lot of ego a lot of drama but I do always feel that especially when we came at the pandemic the Scottish drag scene did a lot to be like we need to put shows on we don't care who's putting them on we just need to make this happen um and I think representation especially of making sure that trans performers as well are included and it's not just all the cis gays um that are sort of doing it. <laughs> It's really important. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. We've run out of time now, but thank you both so much for coming and sharing everything that you know. It was amazing to have you here. And uh, thank you for everyone 
else who came to watch this webinar. Uh, we are currently in the middle of our Fuse International Festival here in Kingston. Um, we are running until the 10th. So if you are around, please come join us. We have uh, live music, theater, comedy. Uh, there's a circus from Ethiopia. That's going to be absolutely incredible. And I'm definitely gonna go watch them. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.